Welcome to the MEP Podcast, where I'll be exploring the intersection of sport and spirituality through a variety of practices that ultimately invite us to learn, grow, and connect. I believe that through movement and mindfulness, we can create an awareness within that will allow us to integrate as individuals and connect more deeply to our mind, body, and spirit, together navigating a way to the way. Welcome back to another solo episode. Um, I think, like I said last time, I'm really going to try and make an effort to do these more often, at least every couple months, as it feels like there's lots to share. And this one is going to be a little bit more pointed in terms of its topics. I'm going to be diving into adrenal fatigue, polyvagal theory, nervous system healing, and spiritual bypass. Those are the four aspects of this episode. And before you think, oh, maybe none of those are for me or none of those um, sound relevant, maybe uh, keep listening and you might be surprised at how much of this could resonate and um, you might be able to, yeah, just feel and feel and relate to. Um, these have all been words or phrases or sayings that I've been aware of in different capacities over the last eight years, I would say. But the deeper I go into them, um, the more I learn, the more interconnected I see how they are. And, you know, when it comes to the spiritual bypass, I see where I was not tending to what I really should have been and paying a price to some degree for not doing that. And it's interesting because I'll get into it a bit later, but um, when other people around me were spiritually bypassing or attempting to from my perspective, I found it quite triggering um, only to realize, oh wow, there is a deeper deeper level to this work that I had been avoiding unconsciously and trying to find you know shortcuts or other ways around dealing with it. Not even necessarily easier, um, but certainly faster. Patience has been a big uh, challenge to integrate into my day-to-day experience, I would say. So with that said, I'm going to dive in. So first off, I want to talk a little bit about adrenal fatigue. And this is topical because the last two months I have reached a adrenal fatigue later stage burnout that has been really challenging to be hit with Um, but in hindsight I understand given some of the nervous system education and and, uh, the course I'm currently taking which I'll share more on um, and then just having a little bit more of an objective review of the last 12 months of my life Um, you know really it was about one year ago about today that I was feeling better than I had in years. Um, There was more flow. I was feeling more vitality. I was feeling fit, um, healthy. And that was, you know, true. And it felt good. And I felt um, excited about that. You know, there are a number of reasons for that at the time. Um, Some of them were just purely denial of the, some of the stresses in my life. Some of them were, um, due to, you know, good, honest work and slowing down and listening and then also being able to know when to hit the gas and how to recover. Um, I did my first half Ironman 
um, it was April 3rd or 4th or 5th or something like that. Um, so it was leading up to that that I was feeling great. And it was really the days after that that the collapse sort of be began. Um, you know, basically just, you know, adrenal fatigue happens from our kidneys and our adrenals pumping out adrenaline and cortisol way too much and not being able to downshift and not being able to get into actual rest and digest and go, go, go nonstop, you know, training, working, stressing about money, stressing about whatever it is, all of these things, um, many of them causing this kind of release of these stress chemicals when they really shouldn't be. But if our sort of nervous system is not set in a good foundation, then all of these perceived threats are going to be um, a lot more intense um, to that old physiology. And so we are going to release these things, you know, could be a text from a partner, it could be an email from a boss, it could be comment on your Instagram or something going on in politics or with the healthcare system. Um, you know, everyone's got their own milieu of things going on and it's the kind of compounding of all of these plus the chronicness of them all that basically just um, drains these, these organs. And, um, and so if we aren't tending to them consciously with, um, you know, at least attempts at rest, um, even if it's not the most quality rest, if we aren't able to downshift, if we aren't able to, um, sleep, if we aren't able to, if we're not, um, maybe supplementing with the proper nutrition and diet and, um, you know, vitamins and minerals and these things, then at some point, um, there's a good chance that it's going to tip into, a late, uh, sort of later phase of adrenal fatigue. So the first phase is a lot of go, 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 potentially high blood pressure, um, a lot of trouble sleeping, um, a lot of sympathetic energy in terms of nervous system and, and polyvagal theory, which will sort of tie into that as we go. But, you know, this isn't super common that I see. Um, and it's this energy that drives a lot of endurance athletes, a lot of intense exercisers, also a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, intense workaholics. Um, you know, there's probably a, a bunch of other categories in which that energy can be challenged in healthy quotes ways, but it's actually uh, draining and taxing and stressing the system. And so as we go into that phase, yeah, some of the things that start happening are potentially, you know, a busy mind when we go to lie down, um, feeling anxious if we meditate or if we go on vacation and there's this unease with being still and doing nothing. Um, that's that sort of old survival stress welling up and driving us to do something. And as long as these, you know, kidneys and adrenals and other organs are, are functioning okay, we can live in that space, that sympathetic energy. We can exercise a ton. We can work a lot, you know, and that's kind of where I was for years, um, probably eight years. You know, the first time I met some kind of alternative doctor, medicine practitioner, 
you know, the diagnosis was quickly, oh, you have adrenal fatigue, take this, this, and this. And, you know, it didn't work. Um, I tried to eat less and exercise more, and I didn't, you know, understand what I was taking and why, even what adrenal fatigue is and what causes it. So, you know, I was just blindly taking supplements that this guy was giving me, and um, that just wasn't enough. So really it's been the last eight years of being in this kind of like early phase of adrenal fatigue. And there's been a couple of times where that reaches a certain capacity where there is sort of a, a burnout sort of feeling where it's just like lethargic, can't do anything, no, no motivation, you know, depression seeping in, um, that sort of feeling along with this, both phases, um, is digestion shutting down. And for me, that was, uh, you know, what happened initially that even made me go to see anybody about this stuff was digestion going a bit haywire and sideways. And, you know, now with perspective on the last eight years, I can see the times when I felt the least stressed, the most safe, the most calm, my digestion would start to come back online. And that could be from, you know, a vacation where I went and literally just like, watched Netflix and got a couple of massages and didn't try to do anything. And then like my body was able to be like, get enough rest that it started to work again. And I made a very common mistake of like, Oh my God, I'm back. Let's go hard. And that combined with some crazy work stress just took me right back into that fatigue, overwork, too much cortisol, too much adrenaline. And, um, you know, so it's, it's oscillated at times from this sort of intensive burnout to light adrenal fatigue to maybe almost like teetering on finding my way back to some sort of balance and harmony with, um, for very short periods of time, you know, and then the stress of, oh my God, what did I eat? What did I do to cause that? Um, I'm going to eat and do that every day. And if I don't, I'm going to be scared that the thing I'm eating is going to make my stomach go bad. And, you know, the stress of that really fun cycle, um, can take you right back into that sort of fatigued, um, dysregulated place where some of the less crucial, um, you know, organ systems will shut down or partially shut down and, you know, not work well. Digestion being the the biggest one for me where I feel that because <clears throat> when that's not moving, the sense of stagnation in my body, of vitality is just so intensely felt. And so that just feels like the biggest measuring stick for this. And, you know, it's something that people are talking about more and more. There's obviously a million supplements for digestion and SIBO and IBS and all of these different, um, you know, diseases or syndromes or autoimmune things, whatever you want to call them, but they're basically all caused by the same stuff. And I'll get into that more, but it's basically suppressed emotions, um, as a result of some traumatic experience and that intense energy that we've internalized, um, causes this dysregulated nervous system where we are at threat it's uncomfortable and so we have to stay busy and do 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 to um you know avoid going into those feelings that we were never allowed to feel 
And so, yeah, it's a really interesting sort of system between these just a couple of different sort of components that I feel, you know, essentially is the, you know, it's the leading cause of disease. So, you know, the last couple of months, um, reflecting on the last year, you know, I did two half Ironman, a couple half marathons, um, you know, another five to six, uh, Olympic and shorter distance triathlons, bought a house and renovated it and lived in the renovation for eight months. Um, my partner was pregnant and we had a baby and we had 11 days in the NICU, which were super intense. And then, you know, becoming a new parent, uh, navigating that, all of the challenges of that shift in lifestyle, sort of the dissolving of this individualistic identity, uh, the challenges that brings in the relationship itself, you know, with communication, lack of sleep, needs, um, postpartum for my partner, you know, realizing, oh, wow, men actually have a version of postpartum as well. Um, and so, yeah, all of these things basically just took me over the top. And um, middle of January, I ran a half marathon, which I had coached a team to um, over 10 weeks, which was, you know, a beautiful experience. And I will say, even though, you know, those 10 mile runs on Sunday mornings, there's stress going into the body from that. But there was also a lot of nourishment from the group and the energy and the um, engagement and the sharing of those experiences. So that was you know, great and also draining, but mostly because I was already drained and then kind of forcing myself through some of those final stages of that program. And um, <clears throat> on either side of that race in the middle of January, I accepted a job and started a job that ended up being really stressful mentally and physically, honestly, for six weeks. And so between all of those things, it just took me into the red, off the deep end into a deeper level of adrenal fatigue of just like absolute exhaustion, the most like stagnation in my body that I had been feeling. Um, and at the same time, I happened to find Irene Lyon's work around the nervous system. So I had the capacity to plunge into her education and her 21-day nervous system tune-up program while finishing this job and just being absolutely cooked. Like I couldn't exercise. So like since January 15th, I think the race was, um, you know, I've gone on four runs. Three of them have been 20 minutes long on a treadmill. I've gone on two bike rides. And so it's been really challenging as well because I don't have that alone time. I don't have the exercise to move the energy um, to keep that sort of flow versus the stagnation. And, you know, I see a lot of athletes just ripping it up on my Instagram and I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. You know, and there's, there's that level of the sort of stress and pining of like, I can't even do that. I can't even, I can go for a 20 minute walk right now. Like that's all I can do. Um, and, you know, on top of that, I have this podcast, I do my holistic life coaching and, you know, share this, this content around sustainable well-being and here I am like really burnt out and I think that there was um a bit of shame that came with that as well and just like how could I have you know 
fallen into this this hole you know I should have known better but also being trying to be gentle with myself and you know there is a huge opportunity to learn about this this process and heal consciously um and just you know gain a lot of wisdom from experiencing this process as well so <clears throat> yeah it's been it's been tough um fortunately once that job finished and another client sort of is on pause i've had the last two and a half weeks um of downtime and that downtime a year ago would have been a lot different than it is now and we've got a seven month old boy and um still some light work to do but you know the lack of quality sustained sleep um and then just you know having a pretty important responsibility throughout the day um it's not fully down but it's it's down enough that uh it's been helpful and so once I kind of realized this is where my sort of adrenal fatigue was at um as a result of this um poorly mm, organized nervous system um I've really dove into adrenal fatigue and sort of the causes and how to help it and you know really dovetails and coincides with taking this um nervous system program of Irene Lyons which is called Smart Body Smart Mind which I'll probably be referencing and talking about throughout this episode um she talks about it a lot um but you know she really talks about it from a from this uh trauma perspective and um that's super important and i'm gonna really be emphasizing that later as i get into it but adrenal fatigue you know a lot of the stuff you find is just like adrenal fatigue is the thing it's the issue it's and these are the ways you can you know, I see like titles on YouTube, like combat it or fight adrenal fatigue. And it's really not about fighting it. Um, it's about befriending your body and listening and coming back home and being in connection with yourself and your environment and your kidneys and adrenals and your other organs and, and, and really listening on a much deeper level. Um, and so, yeah, it's not about combat, combating and fighting. And if you have adrenal fatigue, it's, you know, a result of doing too much and being stressed out and probably some level of being, feeling under threat um, when it's not the case, you know? I think we, our stress system responds disproportionately to the objectivity of the stress a lot of the time. And, you know, I know that experience. It's not pleasant. You can't just positively talk yourself out of it for the most part. Um, but, yeah. So, my journey has been very much a parallel the last couple months, especially the last month of tending to what's going on right now and a much deeper nervous system process that I'm now... A solid two months into and is you know somewhere between six and 12 months from making big changes and then beyond that is truly a lifestyle um it's a way of existing and being in the world and continually tending to um this stuff so uh, there's no end to it but at the same time the process is very interesting and beautiful so adrenal fatigue 
One of the main things I have learned that I just had never heard about, and even when I'm looking online right now, it's just, it's not shared very much. There's only a couple sources, and that is like how important vitamin C is. So the kidneys and adrenals are where the highest concentration of vitamin C is in our body. And, you know, people talk about the these adrenals being like, when they're cooked to that like level of adrenal fatigue, they're like brittle, um, dried out things. And they need to be juicy and plump, you know, and it's the vitamin C that provides that. And so vitamin C, if you are stressed out, take vitamin C. I mean, I know people say vitamin C is good for you and it's good for the immune system and blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. But like, why is it? How does it work? I will let you go into some depth if you desire on that front. But what I have found out is vitamin C is so important and crucial for your adrenals and kidneys, navigating adrenal fatigue and, you know, restoring some functionality. So in the last week to 10 days, I'm not exactly sure actually, but I have gone in on some vitamin C. So, um, I've been taking between 2,500 and 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. Um, and ascorbic acid is the most common, um, source of vitamin C. It's pretty affordable as well. So, I'll let you decide if you want to go buy some, but if you are stressed out, if you feel like you have any level of adrenal fatigue, vitamin C, I would highly recommend. And nobody ever told me about this. Um, so I'm kind of shocked and it's simple, but it's a thing you can start doing today, essentially. So I've been doing that. Um, your body apparently will process this vitamin C when it's taken in like a supplement pill powder format through the body in just a couple of hours. Um, so you don't want to take like 6,000 milligrams in one go. And if you do, you can get diarrhea and that's actually not bad or loose stool. Um, it's not bad, but that, that tells you you've taken more than you can take essentially. So you want to back off that if you get to that point. But what I've been doing is taking 1,500 to 2,000 two or three times a day, um, you know, three, four hours apart. And yeah, that's kind of the protocol I would recommend basically for, for having this vitamin C and, you know, there's, there are different types and some of them like last longer and don't go through the body as quickly. You know, it doesn't, I wouldn't worry about that so much. Um, you can get some vitamin C, I really like pure encapsulations and then also life extensions and life extensions has uh, vitamin C that has glutathione as well. Um, so I've been taking at least one or two of those and then another pill that's just vitamin C. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, another option that you can do that I've now, you know, heard and is not super prevalent either is getting a vitamin C IV drip. And you can get 25 grams of this. And I've heard a couple of personal stories and I've talked to a couple of doctors and this is has worked massively and is something that is used by some naturopaths often with great results. 
So, yeah, um, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to look into doing a vitamin C IV drip in the next week or two. Um, and that seems like it can be really helpful for juicying up those adrenals and kidneys and getting them functioning again. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. The other uh, supplements I've made more of a conscious effort to put, and I'm taking more supplements than I normally do, but I'm feeling good about it. So I'm also taking um, 25 milligrams of DHEA, um, which I'd been recommended a couple times before, but it's a hormone and it helps a lot with this as well. So that's like a mid-level. You can get it in 5 milligrams up to maybe 100 um, but I'm trying to take things a bit slower. Nor old Ryan would go a hundred for sure. Um, but I'm going with 25, one a day. And that's also helping. Um, there's a pure encapsulations, adrenal formula. It's called ADR. Um, and it's quite good as well. It's got a variety of things, ginseng, licorice, um, basically all of the herbs and whatnot that people say are good for adrenal fatigue so that is a really good one um i would say and then zinc and b vitamins so that's pretty much my adrenal stack um so i highly recommend you know if you're feeling any of these symptoms which i would guess the majority of people listening might be then maybe like think about some of these things because let me tell you you might not be in full burnout. Maybe you are then a hundred percent, like look into the IV stuff, um, you know, do what you can. But if you are not to that stage, uh, you don't want to get there. It's really unpleasant. It's really challenging. Um, you know, that's where like the depression sets in, the lethargy sets in, you know, if you don't have something to really motivate you and keep you going, or if you have something that's going to be continually stressing you out, be it a family, finances, job, whatever, um, it's going to be really hard to come out of, to be honest. And I, I have to give praise to like, you know, the years and hours and days of meditation and mindfulness practices, uh, embodiment practices for having the strength to trust myself and find my way back out of this, because there's been days where I'm just like, I can't go on like this. I just can't, I can't do this, but like, what can I do? I mean, the, you know, you can do something basically. Um, but I really have felt like how challenging those moments can be. And I, I don't wish that on anyone. So I'm here to, you know, strongly recommend looking into adrenal fatigue. Irene Lyon has an article, the little known two phases of adrenal fatigue. So read that. It's long, but it's really insightful and outlines these two phases and I think is really important because I think a lot, if not most people, are in the first stage, which you can sustain for decades even, um, but you're not going to be operating optimally and you are going to be at threat of something intense happening and tipping you over into the next phase of, of real burnout. And it's just not fun. It's not enjoyable. Um, I guess I am grateful because I've learned a lot from getting, having to confront that. But um, it's it's not a fun place to be. So get some vitamin C and, and look into this. 
uh, for yourself if any of this is resonating. Oh, okay. So now I want to talk about polyvagal theory a little bit because um, this relates into coming out of adrenal fatigue and going into it and the nervous system. And it's something that I've learned through um, Stephen Porges. He's kind of like the founder of putting this theory together. Um, Deb Dana also has done some really interesting work around polyvagal theory and specifically integrating it into IFS, internal family systems, which I think is amazing. Um, I think it's really quite interesting and cool and really like learning that polyvagal theory and IFS really do dovetail with any sort of good internal healing practices, um, I would have to say. So independently, they're awesome. Together, they're awesome. But polyvagal theory basically talks about the vagus nerve running from the brain, brainstem. Um, nerves go down the backside, and then there's also some coming down the front. And, you know, we know about parasympathetic versus sympathetic. Sympathetic is the energy of doing and going and, you know, getting stuff done. It's very much the energy that we are doing our marathons and triathlons and working hard and, you know, hustling, you know, that sort of, that sort of energy. Parasympathetic is the, you know, people say, oh, parasympathetic, rest and digest, sympathetic, stress, you know, but like good stress, you want good stress too, right? So, you know, we need to have sympathetic, it's good. Um, but parasympathetic is more complicated than that. Um, so in additionally, in the polyvagal theory, it goes into ventral vagal and dorsal vagal. So ventral vagal is a part of the nervous system that we are not born with. So this part of the nervous system is um, all about connection, engagement, social interaction, and, and acceptance. Um, and so this part of our nervous system is grown and developed through our caregivers. So our mom, our father, step-parent, if we had somebody else taking care of us. Um, but it is basically completely dependent on our primary caregivers from, you know, in utero, and then especially once we're born up until, you know, age three for sure, like that's like the really solid, crucial part, um, but it does continue from there too. So um, basically what that means is like a baby can't regulate its own nervous system. It needs its parent, I'll just say parent or mom, um, to regulate its nervous system. And that's by eye gazing, being close to the body, feeling the parent's heartbeat, skin to skin, breastfeeding, feeling safe. If they're crying, they're tended to. If they're scared, they're seen and tended to. They're allowed to cry. They're allowed to be upset, um, you know, having their meet, needs met generally. So all of those things are what grow and develop the ventral vagal part of this. So it's obviously extremely important and crucial to our well-being. And, you know, unfortunately, um, most of our parents and parents' parents or, you know, caregivers, whoever that is, don't 
didn't get this developed optimally for them either. And so our parents just aren't able to do it for us either. And, you know, there's a variety of ways that this happens. And there's a, obviously a massive sliding scale. It's not like it happens or doesn't happen. It's like every fraction of a degree from one end of the spectrum to the other is possible. And you may have, you know, a bunch of ways that this has been developed pretty good. And then some ways where, you know, it's just a total blind spot for our caregiver, our parent, and they just couldn't help us. And that ends up being almost like an Achilles heel in our nervous system. Um, and so for me, I've realized that that has been the case. Um, that part of my nervous system wasn't developed wholly, completely, um, completely healthy and sound. So there is like shakiness to the nervous system through that. Um, you know, it's like you build a, a house, you make a little foundation on some sand near the ocean, you know, maybe down in Florida or something. And yeah, if there's no storms, you know, beautiful, what a great place to be. But, you know, you start getting some hurricanes coming through, tides rising and some winds, you know, blowing at that beach over 10, 20, 30 years. And, that house that's been built on the sand is going to start to wobble and crumble and fall down potentially. So that is, you know, a vital part that I don't think is shared enough. Um, and then the dorsal part of the nervous system, dorsal vagal. And so when I've learned about the, this, this polyvagal theory, dorsal is just, that's it. Dorsal vagal. And it is, um, attributed to shut down, um, as well and rest and digest as well. So like each one of these things kind of has like good and bad. It's not like all are good or bad, um, essentially, but with Irene Lyon and her work, um, I'm not sure if she got this from Peter Levine or Kathy Kane. Those are her teachers, but dorsal vagal is actually broken down into two different components. So there's low tone dorsal and high tone dorsal. And so for me, low tone dorsal is the holy grail that I never get <laughs> to feel. So that is true rest and digest. Low tone, low sort of frequency. It is just like you are just in rest and digest. You are chilling. You're so relaxed. Every muscle in your body is just like zenned out. And that is when all your cells can regenerate, your gut can regenerate, your digestion is just flowing perfectly, and your body is allowed to, you know, find that homeostasis and harmony, vitality can flow. Um, yeah, and that has, you know, been very elusive for me. Um, there's been moments here and there, and I have memories of it not so long ago, but a while ago at this point. And when we are in that first phase, phase of adrenal fatigue, um, that sort of adrenal drain, adrenal go, 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 it is not likely we are spending very much time in that low tone dorsal. And that is, that is basically the source of our health. You know, the body wants to be in harmony, healed, flowing. And when we are in that sort of go, 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 stressed out, chronic stress, it's very hard to drop into that. I've said for years now, I feel like a car with the e-brake on 
And it's like, you know, a car in turned off or in neutral with no e-brake on, you know, just chilling. That's low tone dorsal. High tone dorsal is the car with the e-brake on stepping on the gas, you know, first, like just grinding along. And that is very relatable to me the last seven years, I would say. Um, it feels like I have this, yeah, e-brake on essentially. Um, you know, lack of flow and digestion, bloating, um, just a lack of vitality and energy. Um, you know, the, the, the clear metaphor is like a stagnant swamp versus a raging river. And again, you know, those are the two extremes. So there's every, uh, you know, shade of gray in between those two. But I've very much been more on the stagnant swamp side of things. But with enough sympathetic energy to keep going. So even though I am driving, the car is moving. You know, I was doing these half Ironmans. I was working a lot. I was launching things and doing good stuff. There was always this, like, dragging of, like, the anchor behind, you know, the e-brake being on. And it just didn't feel like my optimal output was even accessible. And so it's this high-tone dorsal, which we can mistake as downtime, i.e. crashing on the couch, watching Netflix. Um, you know, it's like resting, but not really resting. It's like fake rest. And it's like sloppy as well. So we can just like boat go into that and then jump back into like sympathetic energy and then kind of hit the couch, maybe like, you know, smoke weed or something. It's like this like sloppy fake rest, basically, you know, depending if you have an aura ring or something like that, you can probably see like, oh, I'm not getting really good deep sleep, REM even though I was in bed for seven, eight hours, like the sleep quality isn't great. You know, that's kind of where that is. And, um, yeah, it can be shut down as well. So, you know, a, a key thing, you know, talking about this nervous system is this idea of functional freeze. And that's very much the car with the e-brake on and driving at the same time. So it's like we are frozen internally on a certain level. We have shut down you know, emotional emotions, basically suppressed emotions, suppressed expression. And yet we can override that to some degree. And that is very much that functional freeze is uh, very much like that first phase of adrenal fatigue, um, where we can be doing quite a bit, we can be quite functional on the surface, it seems we are good, and we are okay. And we will definitely try and convince ourselves of that. But we are actually, you know, driving with the brake on and it is grinding our system and it's just eating up the oil. So if we don't, you know, at least put some oil in the car, i.e. some vitamin C, we are going to grind to a halt and the engine's going to break down. And, um, yeah, that's what I recently have been experiencing and it's, it's not very fun, but I've learned a bunch from this process. Um, and so yeah, let me just take a breath and see where I want to go now. So before getting a little bit more into the nervous system as a whole, that was basically the outline of the polyvagal theory. So you've got parasympathetic, sympathetic, you've got ventral vagal, low tone dorsal, 
high tone dorsal. And what the optimal looks like is good ventral vagal, which acts as a braking system that smoothly goes on and off, allowing you to move into sympathetic, which is good. We want, we have to have sympathetic energy to go out and get after it. And we want to be able to do that, but we want to feel safe doing it. We want to be doing it because we have the resources like really to be doing it. Uh, we want to be doing it in connection. We want to be feeling, you know, love essentially. And then the ventral vagal break allows us to slowly turn down and go into the low tone dorsal. So that's why it's so important to have that ventral vagal built from our parents. But if we didn't get that, um, luckily, you know, this human mechanism is extremely adaptable and we can develop that now as adults for ourselves, for our children, for their children, and, um, and so on. So ventral vagal allowing us to move with a little sympathetic and then into the low tone dorsal. That's the, that's the dream. That's the ideal state of being that gives us the most, um, safety connection and vitality basically with the ability to really have true deep rest. And so how did I get here? How did drinking ayahuasca 30 times, doing six DMT ceremonies, yoga retreats, med Vipassana retreat, meditating, you know, probably 90% of the days the last four years, um, you know, how, how did this happen to me now? Um, you know, I list some of the stresses from the last year and that, those are very real. But like, those are also stresses that one could or should be able to navigate. You know, the stress comes up, the stress uh, chemicals release, you go into that, and then you come back down, you rest and recover, you are okay, you're in connection, you're safe. And, you know, then the next thing comes up and you ride that wave up and down. It should oscillate up and down and up and down smoothly. But that hasn't been the case for me. It's been up and down a little bit, back up again, down a little bit, and eventually just up again and not coming down, and then long enough at that stage, crashing down. And so, yeah, it's been, um, I mean, just really a challenging experience to have, you know, feeling like I've done all this work and worked so hard um, in many different ways, you know, to avoid this let alone actually feel healed and be able to go into that low tone dorsal and feel safe and feel love and express myself as I need to but that was not what happened I crashed and burned and am crawling back out of it slowly uh, I mentioned patience being really challenging but that is ultimately, you know, the the biggest tool in this process, I would say, is patience. Well, maybe not the biggest, but it's a key one. And so, <clears throat> yeah, how did I get here? Well, it's basically because underneath all of the things that are more well-known, adrenal fatigue and even polyvagal theory to some degree, you know, meditation, breath work, psychedelics, all these great things, those are all just band-aids those are all management tools oh you're feeling stressed do this breath work oh here's 
a breath thing to, you know, activate the vagus nerve. It's like those can have an effect, but basically they're all management strategies. They will not heal your nervous system. They will not heal you. They will not return you to the deepest level of health and vitality that is possible. And that is a fact. And I had to learn the hard way by literally doing all of them and it not working and then doing them all so hard that I got burnt out and really got humbled and sort of brought to my knees right at the time that I found Irene Lyons' work and her programs. And it has absolutely changed my understanding of human physiology, the nervous system, um, and what it actually means to be healthy, regulated, and heal. And the thing is, if you are one of the very few lucky people that have that, then that's great and I'm so happy for you. Everyone else is on a spectrum of dysregulation, I would say, to some degree. Um, and so all of those great tools that I mentioned, if you heal your nervous system, all of those things will work a hundred times better. They will have something to root into, to become sustainable, to be part of your new operating system. But getting, you know, a fresh coat of paint doesn't help with the rotting foundation, <laughs> um, basically. So, you know, getting a nice new front door doesn't help with the rotting, um, you know, structure within, essentially. So what causes, like, this nervous system to be dysregulated, you know? And how is it at the core of healing and why is it so important? And I guess I'll also just share quickly because this isn't really a long note, but one of the things that really hit me, and I mentioned before, like this idea of spiritual bypass being quite triggering to me the last four or five years. And it's like, no, I go into ayahuasca ceremonies for a week and I ask great mother to teach me about my shame, to teach me about my anger, to teach me about what I can't see. You know, and that is deep, intense work, and that's something I've probably taken a little bit too much pride in, to some degree. But that ultimately was me looking for some kind of shortcut to get my nervous system healed, to feel safe, to feel regulated, to be able to really, truly relax, rest, and digest, to really, truly be able to be open-hearted, feel love from others, and share love myself. Um, and so while I learned so many amazing things from all those experiences and I wouldn't be able to do this work now if I hadn't done them, I also was digging myself a deeper hole to now climb out of by not knowing and not tending to this deeper level of the nervous system. And so I was like, oh my God, I've been spiritual, spiritually bypassing healing my nervous system, not consciously, but I don't know, maybe on some level, but yeah, that's, that was hard to hear from myself and acknowledge and be like, fuck, I've been like doing that. And of course, that's why it triggers me when other people are doing it because I'm doing it. And so that was uh, really interesting and, you know, brought a smile to my face as much as it was uh, hard to be confronted with. And I, I find actually a lot of these lessons in, in life are like that, you know, certainly from 
plant medicine and psychedelic experiences, some of those deeply like smack you in the face pieces of wisdom are, oh crap. And also that's hilarious <laughs> at the same time. And I do enjoy that. Um, so yeah, that was just a quick note there. So why are nervous systems generally dysregulated? And basically the answer is trauma. We are traumatized and trauma is also not specifically what happens to you, but it's the emotional suppression and shutdown that happens afterward due to different reasons. And partially that's because of how we internalize things, but a great deal of that, you know, this happens very much when we're young a lot of the time is because we are not able to be held and seen and talk about what the experience was either. So trauma is not what happens to us, but the emotional suppression and shutdown that happens afterwards. And so there are three types of trauma, really. There's early developmental trauma, which are those traumas that happen when we're young from as early as in utero to, you know, three um, as we're developing, starting to make sense of the world, we can't. So, you know, basically this is where that belief of not good enough happens, um, and becomes sort of a, a seed there. Um, and that is, uh, very much part of this, um, early early developmental trauma. And it would be that belief through, having to cry it out and nobody coming to, um, you know, not being allowed to cry it otherwise, or just not being allowed to be angry, not being allowed to have a temper tantrum, like whatever emotions we needed to have, we weren't allowed to have them. Or when we did have them, we were treated in a way that felt not, that's not okay. Or we saw this happening with our parents between them or we witnessed it happening between one of our parents and one of our siblings. Like, it doesn't have to even happen to us. But if we see a sibling crying or not doing something and our parent is like, what are you doing? Eat all your food or whatever. I'm going to be like, or I'm anyone is going to be like, oh my God, like, I better eat my food. Or I'm not going to be loved by my parents. Or you can also internalize that as, oh my God, my parent is giving all their attention to my sibling who's not eating all his food. I'm going to throw a temper tantrum too, so I get some attention, i.e. love, and stay in some form of connection even though it's not a good connection with my parents. Ultimately, we have to maintain connection with our parents as this zero to three-year-old, otherwise we will die. That is what our system tells us, and that's, you know, there's, that's just the, the, the truth of it. Um, so if it comes to shutting down an emotion to stay in connection with a parent, we will shut down that emotion to stay in connection for sure. Um, so that is one of the core, you know, experiences, you know, there's extreme experiences obviously of like abuse, neglect, um, that happen, which are very much part of this as well. Um, but I'm kind of talking more about some of these more like subtle ones because that's been my experience and also just the people that I dialogue with most. Um, a lot of the time it's it's more of these like subtle ones that aren't sort of categorized as, as trauma in terms of like a crazy sexual abuse experience, which, you know, is terrible. Um, 
and forces a really intense shutdown. Um, so, you know, that is bad as well. But it's also this uh, more insidious stuff that um, really affects our developmental trauma, which affects the development of our vagal, ventral vagal in our nervous system. And that is very much tied into this not good enough. And so as we get older, a lot of the time we are go, go, going to make up for the fact that we unconsciously don't feel that we are good enough and we will be abandoned if we are not good enough and so this striving for perfection and achievement is unending um, and that leads to the burnout so you can kind of see how it goes from the start to burnout as an adult very simply right there <laughs> so the other types of trauma are shock trauma so early development early developmental trauma and shock trauma shock trauma you know includes things i didn't consider like surgeries uh, bad knee injuries ankle injuries broken bones um car accidents um breakups um divorce potentially of your parents or of your own um you know basically something that happens once or a couple times that is like a big impact type of thing and so if we have these shock traumas and, you know, if you're listening to this, you've gone through that and come out the other side and are not able to process it, you know, if we're not able to feel all the feelings that were, you know, associated with that and then release all of that stress cocktail on the other side, then we are keeping it in and that is causing dysregulation in our nervous system. Um, and you know, I, my last ACL that I tore, I remember I did it and I just was completely silent, total denial. Uh, I was living by myself. You know, my neighbor heard me screaming when I got, I got back in my car and drove home. I had a stick shift and basically crawled up the stairs into my apartment. My neighbor did hear me screaming as I tried to like get up the stairs and brought me some Tylenol. But other than that, I was by myself alone in excruciating pain i had absolutely shredded my acl bone bruise uh tore both mcl and lcl i think it is um so my knee like you know was the size of my head basically and i tried to go to the gym two days later like just denial there was absolutely no processing of that and, you know, when I've gone back to think about that moment, there's almost a level of nauseous nausea when I think of, like, my knee cranking backwards and spinning around and, like, the almost, like, sound internally. And so there is an example of a shock trauma that I have not processed. Another example of a shock trauma, so within my first few months of riding a bike, I was exhausted from overtraining and hit a pothole right near my house and had a pretty bad crash cracked my handlebars smashed my head punished my ac joint in my shoulder hurt my wrist quite badly you know this took a month to two months to recover from but like i picked myself up you know first off two people stopped and like helped me get to the side of the road and then i was able to walk home because i was so close and when i got home Natalie was there and I just laid down and she sat with me and I just started crying and shaking. And that is 
that being processed. Like when this happens, we need to be seen and held, feel in connection to be able to release that. And so how many times did that not happen for us as children, as adolescents, as teenagers, you know, spraining your ankle really bad in a basketball game or practice and your coach just yelling at you to tape it up and get back in? You know, all of those things are little traumas and not, and it's again, it's not the fact that we sprained our ankle or got in the bike crash, but it's like, how was it handled after? Did we have a parent or caregiver or partner or somebody look us in the face and make us feel like it's going to be okay and allow us to release that energy, that stored up stuff, um, or not. So, you know, just like how many times has that happened in our lives on top of this early de developmental trauma? And then the third one is just chronic stress, basically. Um, and that is financial stress, job security stress. Um, that can be training for a marathon stress because that is stress in the body. And if we can't get into that low tone dorsal and recover properly, then that stress is going to accumulate more than it's going to be able to move through us. You know, you can almost think of it like lactic acid. If your body just can't move or process the lactic acid and you just keep going, what would that feel like? And for me, that's what this kind of built up stress and trauma, um, survival stress in my body, you know, shows up as and feels like. It's just like that stagnant swamp is like a body just filled with lactic acid or stress. And, you know, it comes from all these different buckets. And so, you know, there's plenty of things to be stressed about. I mean, even the last couple of years, just politics, uh, healthcare, you know, initiatives, we'll say, um, then, you know, career, job safety, providing for your family, having a baby. For me, the baby in the NICU was like, you know, that was so intense. And I was already at a over capacity probably. So, um, you know, just unable to move that lactic acid of stress, trauma, trauma, stress through and out of the body at all. And so, you know, that's why I've just like gotten so full over the brim that I had to, why I eventually crashed. Um, but that's what can happen. The other things that can happen are just basically any autoimmune disease. Um, any autoimmune disease, um, you know, digestion going offline, hyperthyroid, um, IBS, Crohn's, fibromyalgia, like anything. You know, as I mentioned before, like the early stress, um, which leads, you know, sets the table for later stress uh, of the same sort of shutdown. So like, were we ever angry as children? Yes. Were we ever able to express that anger in a safe, healthy way that was seen, accepted, received, talked about? For me, no. And so when I get angry as an adult, I have nowhere to channel that. And so it stays inside or it comes out sideways. And so many people, you know, watch the news, watch Instagram videos and get worked up and angry and you know, it's not really because of the video, it's because of all this like pent up unexpressed emotion. And so that stresses the nervous system, which makes the immune system shut down and makes us very vulnerable and susceptible to any sort of disease. So, you know, cancer is 
you know, very much a result of unexpressed anger specifically. Anger is one of the biggest human emotions. And when we don't have a way to express it and share it and move it, be with it, be accepted in it, then it stays inside of us and that just wreaks havoc on our system. Not only that, it extremely diminishes our ability to tap into our vitality and our power, essentially. Um, you know, it's very much intertwined with that energy anger. So we need to look under the hood, but that is very scary and challenging. And there are probably people listening that think, I'm not an angry person. I don't feel anger. Well, you're wrong. I'm sorry. It's just objectively everyone feels anger, <laughs> frustration. Um, I can't remember who designed it. There's this beautiful like wheel of emotion and it has anger and it has all the different words and things that are used for it. And um, yeah, everyone feels anger. And if you're not expressing it, you're internalizing it. And that is hurting your health, hurting your nervous system and setting the table for potential future health issues. So if that's not as blunt as I can say it, I don't know how else to. Um, that said, I know it's hard. It's really hard for me. I'm working at it and it has to be very gentle and it has to come up organically and finding ways to move it and be with it. And it's, uh, it is very challenging. Um, and it's also challenging for people who are explosively angry. On one hand, there's a benefit to that because at least the anger is coming out. It's generally hurting other people. So that's not optimal by any means. Um, but at least it's coming out. So that person also has work to do because they are feeling and expressing that anger in a way that they can't control. So there needs to be a middle ground where we can express, move anger, you know, be allowed to be angry, but uh, do it in a safe, respectable way as well. So we're not hurting other people, but we're also not hurting ourselves. Um, so, yeah, that is basically how the nervous system gets dysregulated and so what do you do about it well for me you know I found Irene Lyons work in incredibly coincidentally and it has changed my understanding and of all of this stuff deeply and knowing that like all the other stuff won't really work unless you do this deeper stuff um, with the nervous system and it was uh, Steve Rio, who was on the podcast, shared a story and it was like seven types of, you know, experiences that you might not think are trauma, but they are. And I was like, Oh, what's that? Clicked on it. And it was, uh, on the somatic experiencing Instagram, which is a process developed by Peter Levine. So I was like, okay, somatic experiencing, that sounds interesting to me, you know, cause I need to get more embodied and feel these feelings and express these feelings. And there was like no podcast about it. The only one was with this woman, Irene Lyon. And so I listened to it and I was like, holy shit. So much of it resonated with me and related to what I experienced and what she'd seen and learned. And it turns out um, Peter Levine is one of her mentors. And Kathy Kane is another one. Somatic something similar. <laughs> but... Um, and she's also studied Feldenkrais and this really interesting combination of things synthesized through her work. And she has so much content on YouTube that is really, really amazing. She really stresses education is 
paramount to doing this work. And I agree because it's so subtle and interesting, but if we don't know what's going on and we're doing this work, we don't have any context for these feelings and emotions, how things are shifting. It can be very off-putting. It can be very unsettling and can drive us to our old patterns and pathways that ultimately don't work. Um, so having this education on board gives us the context to go into this stuff and be okay with it and recognize it as it comes up so that we can be with it, so that we can release it, so that we can heal and gain momentum, and build capacity, build vitality, and essentially, you know, this is the ultimate anti-aging uh, process, uh, you know. If we can go from that stagnant swamp to the raging river of vitality, that's anti-aging. We are going to be flowing and feeling amazing. And that is like what I dream of. And I don't know if there's an endpoint there, um, but I do know on the spectrum I am closer to the stagnant swamp. And um, But I really feel this is the path. And the patience that require is required is, is real. Um, so knowing what my goal is, what my dream is, why I'm doing this, really gives me the strength and awareness to be committed to this daily, whether it's five minutes of orienting, which is one of these practices, or an hour of something else, you know, and then peppering in some float tank stuff, some other, you know, aspects that encourage and nurture the sense of safety and feeling and embodiment, doing them so I can go into my body, so I can feel more, not to escape it, not to run away from it. So that's why it's so important. Um, she's got, um, yeah, 21 day tune up program. That's really good. But I honestly, like, she has so much stuff on her, in um, well, Instagram, yeah, but YouTube especially. So much great education. You can learn about all these different components from what she, excuse me, from her point of view. And ultimately, it's about titrating into this very slowly drip, drip, drip one day at a time, one step at a time, listening to yourself. Is this too much? Is this not not too much? And for me, I've found now everything I do, I'm like doing slowly as if it's the first time. Like, oh, this breath work. Can I do this or is this too much? Can I go for a run or is that too much? Should I, you know, really listening um, is, is vital. And so, um, and then when that stress comes up, that's the opportunity to be with it to feel it and um it's just really nuanced i would have to say so you know as you get into it shifts happen the awareness is there and then ultimately we release these old stored traumas and survival stresses from the body and that allows the flow to return and re and um, be able to just yeah bring more vitality allows us to feel safer to be more in that central ventral vagal dip back into the low dorsal and, you know, just be beacons of light and health and vitality for the world, not only for ourselves, but for our partners and families and friends and communities as well. It really ripples out massively. Um, if you have children or are going to have children, I think this is extremely important to help heal your nervous system so that when your little one grows up, you can give them the gift of a healthy nervous system or a healthier nervous system is even a great step in the right direction.
And so, yeah, I've noticed um, recently, like I had an email from a client and in the last six, 12 months, if it's like a random email on a Friday night, I'm like, what the hell, what is this? You know, and I can read it and get stressed out about it. And I'm like, oh my God, are they going to not pay me? Is this, what's going on? Am I fired? Like, am I not doing good enough? You know, that energy is like coming up intensely and it is like way out of proportion for this email that isn't even negative at all anyways. So noticing that and realizing, oh my God, that's that survival stress. That's the old traumatic stress that's in my body. It manifests in this way. So like if you notice you are getting more stressed or worried or scared about certain things and it's out of proportion to that, what the objective objective thing is, there is a very good chance that is this old traumatic survival stress coming up through your body and manifesting in that way. That's basically how it works. It'll find ways to move. It's trying to move. And if we kind of have these things, it'll attach onto that. So that can be, you know, anything really, but that's, that's an example that came up for me recently. And so another thing that has just happened in the last two days after being in this like burnout phase, um, you know, I dove into trying to rest, um, vitamin C, these other supplements and really trying and doing some, you know, a lot of Irene has a, a meditation basically that is to connect with the kidneys and adrenals. I've been doing that. Damo Mitchell has a kidney nourishing Qigong exercise on his YouTube for free. I've been doing that. So I have noticed this shift back out from the deep burnout back into the earlier phase literally in the last two days because i have been doing you know these different protocols to sort of rescue my kidneys and adrenals from this burnout phase and it's interesting because i was actually sleeping better well maybe not technically i was falling asleep faster anyways when i was in that state and then last night i went to bed and my mind was just going and i just couldn't fall asleep for like an hour and on one hand, I have this energy back. I could exercise a little bit today. I felt like doing stuff, like I wanted to tack my to-do list. But with all this education now, I'm like, oh, well, that's good. I'm moving back on the adrenal fatigue into this earlier phase. But it's sympathetic energy, that stress that's coming up and driving me to do stuff. I could just do, 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 do stuff. And I'm not in that exhausted state. So it's going in the right direction. But as I move back and I have this energy, probably three months ago, if this happened, I would have been like, oh, great, I can start training again. What's the next race I can sign up for? I'm going to go ride for three hours this weekend. Can't wait. But now I know it's like not real energy. It's almost like caffeine energy where it's like you can use it and get some stuff done, but it's not sustainable it's not healthy. It's not the it's not the real vitality that is born of true rest and digest. So, I'm very cautiously and optimistically moving from that burnout phase to the go 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 sympathetic phase. Happy about that because it's more enjoyable than the burnout phase, but also very much aware not to get sucked into the old patterns. 
keep it slow, keep with these practices, keep nourishing myself. And it's in this state where that survival stress moves more, that it gives us more opportunities to be with what we have been suppressing, which to be with what hasn't been expressed. And so that is where I am now. And it's, I'm excited because I feel like I've been begging for some momentum or something to move. And I'm like, okay, it's moved. Now it's like a new phase, which I'm grateful for, but also um, it's not like I'm there yet by any means. And each phase is going to be a new experience. And so it'll be very interesting to see how I go. Um, I have very much felt the urge to reach for psychedelics to help blast me through some of this, but I also have the wisdom that it's not the right thing right now. I feel once I get my nervous system back to a solid, healthy, smooth, oscillating flow, psychedelics can be an amazing thing to explore again to help with growth and development, creativity, healing to some degree, for sure. And I am excited about that opportunity, but I know right now in this state, it's too much for my nervous system. It'll cause me to shut down and I just need to keep titrating, keep feeling a little bit more, keep feeling a little bit more and expressing what I'm feeling when I'm feeling it. Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it tension? Why? Where's that tension coming from? What do I need right now? Do I need to be alone? Do I need to be... Do I need to ask my partner for back scratch? You know, listening to that, expressing it, being seen and held in that expression, that's the path forward. So it's its quite slow, um, but I, I fully believe this is crucial to healing our nervous systems at a deep level. And that will unlock and allow all these other tools to work exponentially better and stop being maintenance band-aids and being propulsion jets that just you know take us in a good direction and boost the vitality rather than actually suppressing the discomfort and the trauma and the survival stress and that's what's happening you get worked up at work you take 10 deep breaths you're actually just suppressing that energy and those feelings that need to be expressed. And maybe at work isn't the time to do that, express them, that is. But if we just keep doing that and doing that and doing that, that bucket of all these different stresses and traumas is going to get fuller and fuller and fuller, overflow and dysregulation, digestion, immune system, illness, disease, cancer, aging faster than we should be, all of these things. And that's just inside of us. You know, of course, all of that has a ripple effect in our relationships as well. So, yeah, I highly recommend this. So I am about a third into Smart Body, Smart Mind right now. Uh, it's 12 weeks in total, and I'm very interested to see where I'm at at the end of it, but I'm not expecting that to be the end of it. Um, I feel very committed to this process for this whole year very much dedicated but i imagine it will continue well beyond this year but 
I hope that it gets to a point where there's enough momentum and regulation that it doesn't have to be this intense focus and it's just part of what I do, like a meditation or exercise, um, how I look at the world, noticing how I feel, etc. So that's it. That's this solo episode. I hope there's something in there that resonated or was interesting or you learned or sparked uh, an interest or maybe a thread to pull at. Um, I really think all of these topics that really are intertwined are issues with everyone. There's some part of this for everyone um, and a huge sliding scale, but I really think this is like a universal um, thing to dive into, and I think it's very important. Uh, I think it's ex extremely foundational. Um, in some ways, it's a lot easier than doing really intense things or even have to like relive old traumas and things like that. Like you don't have to do that necessarily, but you do have to do a lot of consistent, gentle, patient work each day or week, whatever works um, to get there. So I don't know. I think I will maybe try and do like a ask, ask me anything on Instagram following up from this episode because I feel like there might be some more questions, but hopefully you got something out of this. I really felt... I had to share this while it's been fresh. Uh, I'm glad I did. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too all over the place and it made some sense. Um, but thank you for listening and I'll be back again soon.